Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We are in a series that we're going to be concluding in just a couple of weeks, uh, and it is called Wise Up. We've been in it all summer long, and I'm going to make you do it again. Turn to someone next to you, slap them, and tell them, wise up, son, wise up, girl, whatever you got. All right, all right. And uh, for the last nine weeks, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs, learning how to apply its ancient wisdom to our modern lives. Our key text is found in the opening verses where King Solomon, the predominant author of the book, begins to voice his purpose and intent in writing all of these Proverbs. He says this, these are the Proverbs of me, Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise, to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, what is just, and what is fair. So Solomon, we said this every week, Solomon communicates here that wisdom and success are not found in what we know, they are found in what we do. Biblical wisdom is the application of knowledge. It's knowing what the word of God has to say and putting it into practice. And for the last nine weeks, we've discussed a number of areas where we're putting biblical knowledge into practice. We've talked about vision and pride, and we've talked about seeking the right path and tuning our ear to the voice of wisdom. Last week, we had a, a lamb on a barbecue grill up here, and we talked about honoring our commitments and our vows to God. And uh, today, we're going to get into another one of those subjects. But before we do, I want to warn you slash inform you about something that's coming up next week. And I say warn because every time a pastor tackles this topic, people get a little bit sideways. And so I just want to warn you ahead of time in case you don't want to come to church next week. Um, Next Sunday, I'm going to be tackling the subject of financial wisdom. Financial wisdom. Yeah, yeah. My mom is the only one clapping for me. If I had a dollar for every time I had to say that in my life. All right. Uh, no, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about your money. And Proverbs has a lot to say about your money. And here's my commitment to you. When, normally when a pastor says they're going to talk about finances, what they really mean is they're going to try to like twist your arm and get you to give. That is not what I'm going to talk about next week. It, giving is not the only subject when it comes to our resources that we need to address. Proverbs talks about how to manage our money wisely across the board. And so if you are interested in hearing a little bit of financial wisdom, come with a pen, come with a notepad. We're going to talk about some really practical stuff next week. Uh, if not, and you will be offended by, you know, someone talking about that, go to brunch, repent later, and we'll see you next, the week after, and uh, it, it'll be great. But I think we could benefit from a little bit of financial wisdom because uh, our culture is not doing it right. So feel free to come back and tune into it. Uh, today, we're not talking money. Today, we're talking relationships. And here is the proverb I wanna tackle this morning. Proverbs 13, 20. In fact, let's read it together, shall we? Put it on the screen for him. There we go. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with dumb people and suffer harm. <laughs> Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and suffer harm. To that end, I want to title this chat today, Who You Walking With? Not who are you walking with. I want to get ghetto with it a little bit. Who you walking with? You up for that? Say it with me. Who you walking with? I'm going to make you talk to me today. It's going to be good. All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to speak to us for the next couple of moments. We are grateful for the presence of Jesus in this space today. Just even now, we welcome you to, to speak to each and every one of us, individually, specifically. We open up our hearts, we open up our minds to receive wisdom from the counsel of Scripture. 
Uh, we pray as we've prayed every single week, according to James chapter one, you said, if we lack wisdom, we could ask you for it and you would give it to us. And so in the area of our relationships, those we are walking with, I pray that you would give us wisdom and that you would allow us to apply that wisdom by the time we leave here today. We pray this in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Who are you walking with? Who you walk with matters. It matters a lot. I don't think it would be any surprise to us in this room that who we are today has been largely influenced by the voices and those that we've walked with, whether it be a cultural voice or the voice of friends that we've surrounded ourselves with or the family influence, our convictions, our beliefs, our behaviors, even the way that we dress is often a byproduct of the people that we're walking with. And if you feel like that's an exaggeration or hyperbole, look no further than a junior high school for a case study. Come on, how many remember who you were in junior high? How many wanna forget who you were in junior high? Okay, more hands, that's awesome, all right. Man, I was like 10 different people when I was in junior high school. My parents raised 10 different kids just with this one in front of you. And, and, and a lot of like who I was was based on who I surrounded myself with. There was a season early in junior high where I thought I was Mexican. I hung out with Mexican people. I wore Ben Davis and Dickies and Nike Cortez and I put half a bottle of mousse in my hair and slicked it all back and I used words like essay and homes and I had one of those belts that went like all the way down to here. Like I was straight gangster, all right? It was awesome. But then I found a new group of friends and I decided that I was a skater. And I don't mean a skateboarder, I mean an aggressive inline skater, like rollerblades aggressive inline skater. And I wore Jinkos. Some of y'all don't know Jinkos. Jinko is basically like you're wearing a blanket around each leg and you can't see your shoes. Baggy shirts and bucket hats and listen to Sublime. Man, that was a good season. Uh, then for a season, um, I, I was a rocker because some of you are old enough, <laughs> some of you are old enough to remember that like you used to identify by the music you listen to. Are you a rocker or are you a rapper? You know, like, that's how we used to identify. So I wore ripped stuff with like the beads around my neck and like a wallet chain and then I was a raver for a little while. Oh, a little pacifier around my neck and neon clothing. And I shaved everything but my bangs, grew my bangs down to here, bleached them blonde and wore like a neon visor. Like it was awesome. I was many different people in junior high based on who I hung around with. And my parents have the photographs to prove every single thing that I'm telling you this morning, which they will never show you or they will never be allowed to attend this church again. But, but as a, a youth pastor now turned lead pastor once said very wisely, he said, ultimately adults are just junior hires in bigger bodies. <laughs> we we not, may not be in puberty any longer, but the influence of those we associate with is just as real now in our adulthood as it was back in our junior high days. In fact, there was a study done back in 2019 by a number of leading universities in our nation where they surveyed 130,000 people to determine the power of influence, the power of those that you, that you hang around and that you walk with. And uh, they published their study in BBC in a, in, a, in a report titled For Better or For Worse. And look at some of the opening lines of this report. They said, 
We often think that self-control comes from within, yet many of our actions depend just as much on our friends, family, and those we surround ourselves with. This is not simply peer pressure in which you deliberately act in a certain way to fit in with a group. Instead, it's largely unconscious. Beneath your awareness, your brain is constantly picking up cues from the people around you to inform your behavior, and the consequences can be serious. That, 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 those are leading secular universities in our nation. And they were fascinated with these findings, but ultimately their findings only serve to prove what Solomon wrote about thousands of years ago. You are, in many ways, the byproduct of who you walk with. And the scriptures have a lot to say about that. There is no shortage of teaching around the idea of who you surround yourself with and the value of making sure that you are in the right environments. But, but, but one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible that I, I think paints one of the most vivid pictures of this reality is in the second letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians, where he begins to speak directly to this idea of influence. He, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and the devil? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we, you, me, us, we are the temple of the living God. I love that scripture. I have used that scripture so many times in counseling people in relationships. Chances are, if you come to the SDS event tonight, we are gonna be discussing partially this scripture. But, but like all Bible verses, it is important that we understand the context in which it is written, otherwise we will wrongfully apply the truth of this scripture. Because at face value, when you read that, what, what it seems Paul is saying is that as believers, we should isolate ourselves from anybody that doesn't believe what we believe, restrict ourselves to these Christian bubble circles where we're all like-minded, we all talk the same way, we all think the same way, and, and don't go out there because the outside world is dark and evil and we want nothing to do with them. And some of you have been a part of church communities or you've experienced friends who were like that. Just, you know, blinders on. I'm looking down. I'm an ostrich with my head in the sand. I'm not supposed to be around anything on hold. Like, we know what that feels like. But, but that's not what Paul is saying here. That is not how you are called to live as a believer. And here's why we know that. In fact, Paul himself wrote in one letter prior, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that we are not supposed to isolate from unbelievers. We're supposed to be around unbelievers so that we can show them the love of Jesus that we've experienced for ourselves. He teaches us how we're supposed to act around them. But then secondly, and perhaps more importantly, if that was how we were called to live, we would circumvent our responsibility as disciples as given to us by Jesus himself when he left the planet. What did he say in Matthew 28? Hey, your job, now that you believe in me and you've set your life up in me, your job is to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey my ways. You're not supposed to isolate, you're supposed to influence your world. You are the influencers, not the influenced in your society. We are a fragrance of the living God to a broken and desperate world. And our job as those who've placed our faith in Christ is to influence them in such a way that they encounter the love of Jesus that we have encountered for ourselves. If we isolate to bubbles, we fail to do the very thing that Jesus commanded us to do when he left the planet. So, so this is not about isolation. It's not about getting away from anyone who doesn't believe what you believe. No, what Paul is saying here and what Solomon is saying is that we need to be careful of the influence. Not isolation, it's influence. 
And, and to affirm that reality, he, he uses this analogy. He says, do not be unequally yoked, unequally yoked. Now, thank God I have a basement where I can store all of my old sermon props because I'm breaking this one out again. This is a yoke. Uh, let me borrow a couple of people. Um, Eric, let me borrow you real quick. Uh, I saw Ashley up front. Where are you at, Ashley? Can you come up here real quick? Okay. Uh, this is a, a yoke, and I'm going to have the two of you guys. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. Way better than the analogy last service. Perfect. Okay. So, so when Paul says in 2 Corinthians, do not be unequally yoked, he's using a farming term. This was an agrarian culture, and he's using a farming term. In those days, if a farmer was going to plow his field and prepare for seed, then he needed to make sure he had some oxen that were of similar size, and he would yoke those two oxen together with something similar to this, so that as they walked through the field with a hook behind them, they could keep a straight line in the process. However, if one ox, oh, now I'm making you an ox. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. You're a beautiful ox. Okay. <laughs> if one ox was smaller than the other, then no offense, but this ox would overpower the other one and they wouldn't be able to move in the right direction. They'd go to the right. They'd go to the left. They'd be all over the field. So in order to ensure, and you're already getting pushed around. I love it. In order to ensure, no, keep that on, bro. In order to ensure, move out of the way. Uh, <laughs> In order to ensure, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that they're moving in the right direction and they're making progress, literally down to the way they were dressed. They needed to be equally yoked. That's awesome. <laughs> Are you getting it? Is this making sense? Okay. Thank you guys. You can take your seat. So, so what Paul is saying here, actually keep this out for me. What Paul is saying here is that every single one of us has one of these on. We're all wearing a yoke. And you have to determine who is going to sit in the other side of that influence. If you choose to yoke up with unwise people, with fools, as Solomon says it, then you're going to end up all over the map in your faith journey. But if you're yoked up with the right people, then you will go in the right direction. It's literally that simple. Who are you yoked up with? So to that end, let's pose the question to ourselves. Who are you walking with? Who are the influences in your life? What people do you have around you? What voices are you allowing to speak into your spiritual condition? And, and, and let me be clear. This is not just family members you live with or friends you hang out with. There, there's influences that go far beyond the physical people that you surround yourself with. What news organizations are you yoked up with? What political narratives are you yoked up with? What social media influences are discipling you right now? Saying, this is how you should dress. This is how you should act. This is how you should live your life. This is how you pursue the person that you're trying to date. And who, who's yoked up with you? And if you're like, oh, I'm not sure, look at the stability of your spiritual life. Are you moving at a steady pace in the right direction? Or do you find yourself being moved all over the field as a result of being yoked up with some dumb cows? And if you'd say, gosh, I'm lacking stability, then here's what I'd like to do for our remaining moments together. I wanna give you three wise guys that all of us need to be walking with 
if we're not going to suffer the fate of fools that Solomon speaks of here. Three wise guys. If you're a note taker, uh, here's the first one. You need a leader. You need a leader in your life. In fact, let me take it a step further. You need the right leader in your life. You need a good leader in your life. We live in, in a very rugged individualistic culture, a culture that celebrates the idea of self-made, I'm accountable to nobody, I'm the leader of my own life, the master of my own destiny, it's me, ah, that's the culture we live in. But can I let you in on a little secret? That's a lie. There's no such thing as rugged individualism. It doesn't exist. You may think that you got to the place that you're at by yourself, but you didn't. There were other people involved in the process. There were voices and influences that got you to wherever you're at, whether it be a good place or a bad place. No, it, it's not a question of whether or not you're being led, it's whether or not you've chosen the right people to lead you to the direction you're supposed to go. Do you have the right leader? And by the way, when I say you need a good leader, I'm not talking about someone who has a, a title superior to yours in your work environment or someone teaching you a trade or a skill. I'm talking about a spiritual leader in your life, a man or a woman of God that can look you in the eye and say, follow me as I follow Christ. I've been where you're at. I know where you want to go and I'm gonna help guide you there in the process. You need a spiritual leader in your life. Now, when I say that in our American culture, church context, the first place everybody's mind goes is, that's you, right? You my leader. <laughs> this is my church. You're my pastor. Like, I think I got that one covered. And, and listen, I don't want to minimize that. It is incredibly important that you have a church that you are deeply committed to. It's incredibly important that you have a pastor that you can receive the teaching of the word from. These are mandates in scripture. As it says in Psalms, those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of their God. We tell everyone in our Discover class, listen, we know that the Father's house may not be a cup of tea for you. Like, we get it. We're not everybody's cup of tea. Some people don't like me. Everybody likes Robin. Some people don't like the worship. Like, it's all good. But if this is not your community, all I'm asking is that you go find a community that you can deeply plant yourself in because we need people that are flourishing in our city, not floundering in our city. So, so find a church. Everybody needs a pastor. Everybody needs a church. But, but let me be honest, and, and I apologize if this is offensive. If this is your church and if we're your pastors, chances are I'm not also your spiritual leader. Pastor Tim... I'm just being honest. Yes, we pastor the church that you attend. We're leading the community that you're a part of. But friends, there is a massive difference between pastoring a church and discipling an individual. What I'm doing right now, this is not discipleship. Talking over a microphone for 35 minutes about a few Bible verses, that's not discipleship. No, discipleship requires relationship. It requires intimacy. It requires time. If the only time we see each other is for 35 minutes on the Sundays that you attend the Father's house, that is not enough time for you to be discipled. 
That is not the biblical definition of discipleship where we walk together and we live life together and you start to smell like the leader that's leading you and talk like the leader that's leading you and you're truly walking through this life together. That's discipleship. But, but sadly, in America, we have settled for this Greco-Roman idea of sitting in rows and receiving the word as discipleship. That's not how it works. And because we, we've gotten discipleship so wrong, Many believers are not being led. They do not have a spiritual leader deeply invested in their life. And when you don't have a leader invested in your life, you are missing out on perhaps the greatest thing you need to grow in God. One word, ready? Correction. Yes, correction. Have you ever been around a kid that's never been corrected before? <laughs> You're laughing because you have. You're thinking about your friend's kids right now. I know it. I, tell, you know, I get it. Yeah, you, you get around a kid whose parents have let them raise themselves. They've never disciplined. They've never, correct, never told them no. That, that kid is whiny, entitled, disrespectful, annoying. <laughs> They've been allowed to incubate in this state of immaturity. And as a result, they don't know how to act. They've had to figure it out for themselves. Well, as it is in the natural, so it is in the spirit. When you are a believer who doesn't have a leader in your life, you incubate your immaturity. You're the only one leading your life. You're whiny, you're entitled, you're immature, you're annoying. It's just, I mean, I'm just throwing it out there, all right? No, you need a leader that can come alongside you and correct you at times. Hey, correction is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. The Bible says the Lord corrects those he loves. Correction is the byproduct of a loving relationship, not because someone's trying to control you. You need someone that can come alongside you and say, hey, as a believer, we don't talk like that. As a believer, we don't post like that. As a believer, we don't treat people like that. As a believer, you need to aim for some higher things and not living at this low level where you're settling for God's, not, not something that's not God's best for your life. You need a, the voice of a leader in your life. And if you don't have that, let me, again, be honest. That's on you. Leaders don't find you. Like, you have to intentionally pursue that relationship in your life. So, so let me give you a very practical to-do with this. We mentioned it last week. I'll mention it again today. We have groups starting here at the Father's House. This is the easiest way to identify a spiritual leader in your life. To lay down your pride and say, I don't, you might be younger than me, you might be in a different season of life than me, but you're a little further on down the road in God than I am, and I'm going to intentionally submit my life to this community of believers. You are my spiritual leader. You have permission to call me out on some things. Get into a group as they start. There's groups all days of the week for every season of life. We've got dozens of them. Go on the app, go on the website. Find someone that you can say, I'm submitting my life to you. And, and I'm not just telling you to do this because I'm trying to give you good advice. This is advice I've taken for myself. I, I may be the pastor of this church, but I have some spiritual leaders in my life that still speak into my life, that can still slap me occasionally and say, you're an idiot, stop doing that. Don't treat people like that. Don't post things like that. I have people in my life that can do that for me. Why? Because I wanna mature. You want me to mature. <laughs> You don't want me to stay in the same place for the next decade. I don't want to stay in the same place for the next decade. And the only way I make progress in God is by submitting my life to those who can correct me. We all need a leader. 
But in addition to a leader, number two, everybody also needs a friend. You need a friend. You got a friend in me. You got a friend. (laughs) Why does my head go to these places? You need a friend. Proverbs says a lot uh, about friendship. I wrote a couple of them down. They're not gonna come up on the screen. But Proverbs 17 says that a friend has the ability to provide unique comfort in times of adversity. Proverbs 18 says that a true friend has the ability to provide intimacy, maybe more so than a family in certain seasons of your life. Proverbs 27 says that a friend has a unique position to offer counsel when perhaps other voices can't get through to you. There's so many things the Proverbs say about what it means to be a true friend and the value of having true friendships in your life. But I think one of the most powerful things Solomon says about friendship is found in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. If you've been to a men's conference before, you've seen this scripture. It says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Write this down. Your friendships determine your sharpness. Your friendships determine how spiritually sharp you might be. I love that language. I love that imagery because what Solomon's using here is the imagery of a blacksmith. He's saying just like a blacksmith would take one piece of iron and throw it into a furnace and heat it up to the point where it was malleable and then he would take another piece of iron and he would strike that piece of iron until it turned into the sword and it was sharp like it was supposed to be. That, that's what a friendship can do for you. But, but, but I want you to, to see something here. In fact, I got a picture of, of, of a blacksmith right here as you, as you consider that image. I want you to notice something. That doesn't look like a comfortable process. Like if you're the iron be- getting beaten with that, that, that hammer, you're not like, woo, friendship is awesome. There's some sparks. There's some tension. There's some aggression involved. It's uncomfortable. There is no sharpening without the striking. That's perhaps that's why Solomon says later on in the Proverbs, better are wounds from a friend than kisses from an enemy. If you want to be sharp, you're going to need to learn how to endure some wounds from a friend. I wonder how many dull believers exist in the body of Christ because we haven't been willing to submit to the arduous process of the striking in friendship where sparks and discomfort cause us to become easily offended and and allow disagreement to turn into division and where we begin to start trading in relationships, ending relationships we've had for five, 10, 15 years because we don't know how to get through the sharpening process. Man, I saw that a lot during COVID. People who were friends for decades and because they disagreed about something that was a moment in time, they decided to trade in that friendship and look for some new people that thought like they thought. It resonated, not realizing that they were the ones becoming dull in the process. We gotta be willing to submit to the process of sharpening. In fact, let me say it like this. You want to be and you want to have Cutco friends, not Costco friends. Come on, I'm gonna preach to you from cutlery for a couple of moments, okay? Where are all my Costco membership people at? Yeah, my people, there we go. Costco member. It is the most magical place on earth, is it not? The home of the dollar and 50 cent hot dog meal. My daughter showed me an article this week that showed me that you lose 36 minutes of your life for every hot dog you eat. And I'm like, I'm gonna die a little earlier than I thought because those things are amazing, yes. 
the place where you can buy enough food to last you a decade, a mayonnaise jar that will last like 10 years. And I, I heard someone say recently, the most expensive vehicle to operate on the planet is the cart at Costco. You go in there to get hot dogs and you end up with a TV on your way out the door. Like it's expensive, yeah. But part of the magic of Costco is their no questions asked return policy. There's no place like Costco. If you have a defective item, you don't have to argue and negotiate with a customer service representative so that you can return your item. You just waltz up to that counter, you hand it over and they say, here's your money back. It's a beautiful thing. But with great privilege comes great responsibility. And sadly, there are some people that abuse the return policy at Costco. And you know who you are. You don't return because items are defective. You return because you wanna upgrade the item or normal wear and tear has taken place. And I witnessed this the other day. Uh, there was a woman who was standing in front of me in the return line at customer service at Costco, and she had a set of knives that she had obviously had for like three or four years, okay? They'd been sitting in her kitchen. They'd seen some, some, some meals. And she walks up to the customer service rep, and she sets the knives on the counter, and she says, I'd like to return these. And the customer service says, oh, is there something wrong with them? And she's like, yeah, they're dull now. Now, if I was on the other side of that counter, there'd be a little negotiate. I'd probably get fired from Costco. But no, the, the customer service rep says, okay, um, would you like me to refund your credit card or would you like me to give you a Costco cash card in, in, in return? She's like, oh, I'll just take a Costco cash card. I'm gonna go back into the warehouse and buy me a new set of knives that are sharp anyway and I'll be on my way. So they hand her the money. She goes back into Costco and she buys the knives and she checks out. I'm like, you are ruining this for the rest of us paying members here at Costco. But, but sadly, that's how a lot of us deal with friendships. Ah, I've had this one for a few years. It's not working out the way I want to anymore. Ah, I've been some disagreements. I'm just gonna trade this friendship in. I'll go find a new one that will suit me for the next season of life. But I, I don't want Costco friends. I don't want trade-in friends. <laughs> now, there's a, a friendship, a relationship that's better than Costco. It's called Cutco. Come on, somebody, Hallelujah. Yes, it's an expensive one up front. <laughs> it may cost you in the process. You may have to deal with a salesperson at your door, but it comes with something better than a, re a return policy. It comes with a lifetime warranty. And if that knife ever gets dull, all you gotta do is send it back to Cutco and they will sharpen that sucker for you and they will send it back so that you can retain the beautiful knife you've had in your possession for the last 10 years. I want some friendships that I don't have to trade in to get a new one because things are not working out, but I can go through the process of sharpening I don't have to worry about the dulling in my life because I keep doing the trade-in process. I can go through some stuff and know that this person is making me better in the process. You need a Cutco friend, not a Costco friend. Like, I would like a Cutco friend. That sounds great. Okay, let me give you a little bit of advice. If you are not in that kind of a friendship with somebody, and you don't need a lot, by the way, let me just say that. You just need one good friend. One good friend is enough to get you through some stuff. And if you don't have that right now, here's my advice. Become the friend you're looking for. Don't just sit around and wait. Become that friend. I love this other proverb that Solomon drops in 1824. He says this. A man that has friends must himself be friendly. You want it, become it. Go to that group, find that person, go. A good friend is there for somebody when nobody else is. A good friend encourages. A good friend asks the question, say, how are you really doing? 
If I don't have that, I'm gonna become that for somebody else and trust that there'll be some reciprocity in the process. You need a leader and you need a friend. Number three, last one. And uh, worship team, you guys can come so we can conclude. You need the spirit. Let's get out of the practical realm for just a moment. Let's get into the spiritual realm. You need a leader, you need a friend, but you need the Holy Ghost. (laughs) You need the spirit of God. If there is anybody you need to ensure is tethered up to your life, leading you, you need the Holy Spirit. Because listen, while a leader can correct and while a friend can sharpen, only the spirit can empower you. Only the spirit of God can give you what you need to walk in freedom. Look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter five. Last scripture. So I say, walk with the spirit. Yoke up with the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you are not free to do whatever you want. Can I tell you perhaps one of the most dangerous people you're yoked up to in your life is yourself? One of the most destructive influences you have on the other side of this yoke is your flesh. Paul says that your entire life, you got the flesh on one side and the spirit on the other, and they are fighting against one another. There is a civil war taking place on the inside of you. And you know what I'm talking about because you feel it every single day. That thing that always beckons, hey, come on back. That sin pattern that we tend to fall into, that area where we always regret what we said or did later on. There is an internal war taking place every day. And not to be the bearer of bad news, but it is not going anywhere. You will deal with that internal struggle for the remainder of your days until you see Jesus face to face. But Paul tells us that we do not have to fall every single time that flesh tries to take us out. He says there's a way to win the war in the spirit every single time. How? You need to walk with the Holy Spirit. You want freedom from that addiction? You need to walk with the spirit. You tired of looking at pornography? You need to walk with the spirit. You want to be empowered to overcome that temptation that comes knocking on your door all the time? You need to walk with the Spirit. You want to stop being a jerk to your family? You want to start using your life for the kingdom of God? You want to start making a difference in your world instead of being influenced all the time? You need to walk with the Spirit. When we walk with the Spirit, we will not fulfill, we will not fall, we will not succumb to the influence of the flesh. And, and sometimes biblical language is, is, is a bit nebulous, right? Like, what does it mean to walk with the Spirit? Like, hey, like, what, 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 do, you, what do you mean? So, so, so let me demystify this a little bit because it's not complicated. You know what it means to walk with the Spirit? It's your daily relationship with Jesus. It's the basics. It's prayer. It's the Word of God. It's worship. It's valuing His house. It's being involved in Christian community. It's the basic stuff. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. At that moment, if you have prayed that prayer, you've made that decision, there's no guesswork involved. You have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. You are indwelt with the Spirit of God. 
But from that moment forward, it is your job to make sure that you daily walk with the Spirit, that you stay in step with the Spirit. And, and, and although there's probably a few that had a difficult time walking into the room this morning, whether by a handicap or whatever the case may be, for the vast majority of the room, it, it's very simple. The same way you walked in here, you just put one foot in front of the other. I, love, I know that we love like complicated like solutions. <laughs> like, okay, well, what do I do? do I really? It's not complicated. I love that the gospel is not complicated. You read the word of God every day and you get it hidden away in your heart. You spend time in the presence of Jesus and you lift up your voice in your home or in your car. You worship God outside of this building. You do the same seemingly boring and redundant things over and over and over again. Watch how your spirit begins to grow, how you begin to mature in the things of God. And those things that tangled you up before, that flesh that you used to be yoked up to no longer has power in your life. But as you walk with the spirit, you begin to walk in freedom. You need the spirit. You need a leader, you need a friend, you need the spirit. If we will commit, I know this is super practical today, but if we will commit to those three influences in our life, we will accomplish what Solomon's talking about here. We will walk with the wise and we will become like that which we're walking with. And we will not suffer the harm of fools. That's what I want for everybody in the room today. Uh, let, let me pray that over us as we conclude. Ah, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I pray right now for every person in the room that has a vacancy on one side of the yoke in these three areas, where there's a voice that needs to be speaking, but isn't speaking. I just, I mean, as, as I'm praying this, I feel like maybe there's someone here today and whether you're new to the city or maybe you're not new, but been isolated for an extended period of time and you just feel like you have no one around you. I just sense the, the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, I brought you here today because I see you. I see you. I see you in the wilderness by yourself. And that's not the place I've called you to stay. Don't leave here today without, without getting connected, without allowing him to begin to orchestrate the voices, the influences, the people that you need around you because you don't belong in an island by yourself. Father, help us to take the very practical next steps with this, to find the leader, to find the friend, to become the friend. And for those that are here today that have not been walking with your spirit, even now, I pray you'd open up their hearts to receive salvation. Before we conclude, as we pray along these lines, maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, Tim, I, I am a I am one of those who is not yoked up with God. I, I, I'm not walking with Jesus right now. Maybe at one time in your life you did, but you've walked away. Or, or maybe today is the first time you've heard that there is a God that wants to walk with you. Whatever the case is, I wanna take a moment and invite you to pray along with me that Romans 10 prayer, where you confess him as Lord, you believe he is your savior, and you once again choose to yoke yourself up with the most important influence in your life, the Holy Spirit. And, and if that's you today and you need to pray that prayer along with me, would you do me a favor? Just quickly look up at me and shoot up in your hand and say, Tim, that's me. I need to pray with you this morning before I leave here today. Got you in the back row. Awesome. Yeah, right there. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, there. Thank you. Yeah, right over here. Awesome. Anybody else? Hallelujah. All right. 
what we're gonna do, church. We're gonna pray this out loud with all of those making this decision so that they're not praying alone. And give me a little volume with this, will you? Let's say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. Today, I choose to walk with you. I believe you died on a cross to forgive me of my sins and you rose again to give me new life. Help me to be your disciple from this day forward until I see you in eternity. In Jesus' name. And the church celebrated like angels are doing backflips in heaven right now. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.